What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Property Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Fans, it's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SV Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you. And the 2020 draft is in the book, so we have plenty to talk about. We have a couple great guests coming up here in a few minutes. E.J. Snyder, of course, Windy City Gridiron's own, and his podcast mate, Brett Coleman, both excellent draft analysts. They're going to be up a little bit. We'll talk about their podcast and get their take on what the Bears did in the draft, and a couple other things as well, because there's a lot to talk about, including the Green Bay Packers. And are they basically pushing Aaron Rodgers out? We'll be getting to all that with them. But before we get them aboard, just want to talk about a few things that the Bears did last week and this week, because they have been busy here the last uh, seven or eight days, obviously including the draft. And let me start with the draft, and let me start with their top pick, Cole Komet the tight end out of Notre Dame that they selected. And I said a few things on Twitter that uh, ticked a lot of people off, so let me explain exactly what I mean. I do not hate Cole Komet. I do not think he's terrible. I do not think he's going to be a bust. I think he's going to be a solid player for the Chicago Bears. Why I was disappointed with the pick is I think he is a pretty high floor, but a pretty low ceiling prospect. I think he's going to be pretty good. I don't think he's going to develop into an outstanding weapon in Matt Nagy's offense. So when that in mind, there was so much value on the board when the Bears picked there. With Cole Komet. So much value between Antoine Winfield and Grant Delpit in, in, in the secondary. Jalen Johnson, who they were lucky, slipped all the way to 50 for them. So many wide receivers like K.J. Hamler. There were so many directions to go. And I understand the importance of the tight end in the Bears' offense and how poor the tight end position was last year. But I don't like drafting for just a need. I don't like sitting there saying, well, tight end is the most important need. So that's who the Bears should be going after is whatever best tight end they can get at that slot. That's how you miss out on really good talent, and I feel that's what the Bears did. There was talent on the board that I feel had better value and higher ceilings than Cole Komet, and it still worked out that those were positions in need. There were a lot of good offensive linemen on the board. We know the Bears have a question at right guard and an aging tackle in Massey and questions on the offensive line. They could have gone there. They needed a safety next to Eddie Jackson. They needed another corner. There were so many ways to go with that selection. They didn't have to just go tight end because they needed a tight end. Demetrius Harris and and Jimmy Graham, say what you will about that tandem, but it's serviceable, so it wasn't a situation where they had to go tight end, but they chose to go tight end. I think Komet's going to be okay. I don't hate the pick. I just think there were certainly better directions the Bears could have gone. Now, 
I will go the exact opposite way on the Jalen Johnson pick, who is a guy that I had talked about on this podcast a couple of times on my own and with, uh, with EJ and a couple other things because he is the perfect pick for the Chicago Bears for me. The Bears have a lot. It's a crowded room at cornerback, but there wasn't really anyone next to Kyle Fuller who you were going to sit there and circle and be like, this guy's going to be a shutdown quarter. Kevin Tolliver is probably going to get that shot out of the gate, but I think Jalen Johnson has a chance to become the Bears starting cornerback by opening by week one, wherever, whenever that is. He is, he's really good. He fits perfectly in Pagano's system. And I love, he is a really, Smart guy. He understands the game. He's a quick learner. He's going to be eventually a quarterback for the defense. He, he's going to be able to really be a coach out there on the field and really help elevate this defense. I truly believe that. I really, really love that selection. And then, obviously, the Bears had to wait all the way until day three uh, for any more activity. And th- there were some interesting things they did on day three especially ending up with three picks in the fifth round. I don't know too much about Vildor. We're going to have to talk to EJ and Brett about him, Georgia Southern. Look, the cornerback room is really crowded, and it's going to be a steel cage match to find out who comes out of that 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 room. Because if you think about it, heading into training camp here, usually teams carry six cornerbacks on the roster. So you sit there and say, well, Jalen Johnson's going to make it, and they just spent a fifth-round pick on Vildor. He's going to make it. So you put those two rookies in the mix. Kevin Tolliver is the presumptive outside corner there opposite Kyle Fuller. So he's going to make it. Obviously, Fuller's going to make it. That's four corners right there already. Buster's screen is a mortal lock to make this team as the starting nickelback. So that's five slots right there. They've got Trey Roberson from the CFL that they signed that they're very high on. They've got Artie Burns in the mix. They've got Duke Shelley, the six-rounder from last year, who flashed a lot in training camp and and in uh, OTA. So they're not all going to make the roster, and not to mention Sherrick McManus, Stephen Denmark, some of these guys who may be moving to safety. We'll see what Chuck Pagano decides to do with them in training camp. But they have a lot of talent in the secondary at the cornerback position, and I'm not sure exactly how they're all going to make the roster. It'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. As for the other two fifth-round picks, I really like what they did there. Gibson, they needed an edge, a rotational edge. I don't like day three edges too much because I don't think they usually pan out. You usually need to spend a first round no later than a second round pick on an edge if you expect anything out of him. But he's a raw talent with a lot of skills. I think the Bears can bounce him around a little bit as to how they use him. So I really like that pick. They needed a rotational edge. They didn't really have anything. Isaiah Irving, Mingo, these guys aren't going to excite you in terms of guys who can uh, fill in for Quinn or Mack. So getting him at that spot I thought was a really good value. And look, Mooney is is a speedster. He's a flyer. You love getting that kind of talent as as a fifth-round pick just to see what he can do with that speed. When you have that level of speed, you can get separation. And if you get separation and you have a quarterback that can hit the deep ball, and by that I mean Nick Foles, then you can make some big plays on offense. And the Bears' offense was desperately lacking speed. So not only was was Mooney interesting, but Ted Ginn picking him up this week was was an interesting move. He's a veteran. He's been a solid player for a lot of years. Look, he's not going to suddenly burst out of nowhere and and get a thousand yards for the Bears, but he's definitely a guy who can who's definitely going to make this roster. Is definitely going to help this wide receiving core that didn't have a lot of depth in my eyes, at least proven depth behind Robinson and Miller. 
I'd like to see Riley Ridley take a step forward. And I actually mentioned this on Twitter. I don't know if Javon Wims is going to be on this roster. I know a lot of Bears fans love him. But he had his chances last year, didn't really step up. He had the worst catch rate of any receiver, tight end or receiver, running back, any of them, on the roster. And look, you can't blame Mitch Trubisky on that one when he is literally the worst of the group. So you you want to say the catch rate is lower because of Trubisky? You can. But even through all that, he was the worst receiver on the team in terms of catch rate. There's there's a lot of other stats out there, too, that aren't too complimentary of Wims. So that's going to be interesting to see if Wims can hold on and make this roster for a third year in a row because he's got plenty of competition there as well. As for the other veterans they picked up this week, John Jenkins, probably another guy who's going to make the roster. He was with the Bears a couple of years ago, played a lot in Miami last year. Look, he's a true nose, and he will be the only other true nose on this team besides Eddie Goldman, so that's going to help having the little depth there. He's he's a solid player. He's, not again, not going to excite you, but he's, he's a load in the middle there that's going to take two blockers, and he can run the stuff with the best of them. So Jenkins, a nice little addition there. And Gibson in the secondary uh, at safety opposite Eddie Jackson. That was an important move. I had no problem with Deion Bush being the third safety on this team. But as I've said countless times in this offseason, Deion Bush, I do not think is a starting level safety unless there's an injury. So bringing in Gibson, I've been pounding the table for Jefferson, Tony Jefferson, as you guys know. But the truth of the matter is, is he's still injured. He's still rehabbing that knee. The Bears cannot take a look at him right now due to the COVID-19 and and everything going on there. So it's really hard to get an assessment on Jefferson right now and exactly how strong his knee is. He had he tore two ligaments in that knee, so that was going to be a complicated situation. He's perfect for Pagano. He's perfect complement to to Eddie Jackson. I love what he could be in this defense. But when the Texans decided to let Gibson go, I really kind of looked at that and went, wow, that's the guy that the Bears have to pick up there. And sure enough, they did. So this team is really rounding into shape defensively now that you really know what this starting 11 is going to look like, especially when they line up in nickel. They line up in nickel where it's basically a 4-2-5 formation, and you're going to have Mack and Quinn up at the line with Goldman and Hicks. That's a stout front four. That's going to raise plenty. That's going to create plenty of problems for offenses with Trevathan and Roquan there as, as the linebackers, and then the secondary with Screen. I think it'll be Johnson, maybe Tolliver, and Fuller with Gibson and Jackson. That is a really good defense. That is a defense that's going to be, I think, closer to 2018 than 2019 for the Chicago Bears. So that's that's going to be something fun to watch for Bears fans. But let's, uh, let's move along here. Uh, I've been babbling enough about this. I want to get Brett Coleman and EJ Snyder's opinions on, on all this because the draft is what they specialize in. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, it'll be EJ and Brett. Stick with us. This is Bears Banter. We'll be right back. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right. Welcome back into the podcast. Very happy to have, uh, and that's the first time we've ever done this on this show, two guests at the same time. They are the Bootleg Football Podcast. It is Brett Coleman of YouTube's Film Room and EJ Snyder, who you know from Windy City Gridiron, has been on many, many times, the senior draft analyst. And they are both on, talk a little bit about the Bootleg Football Podcast, which I will tell you makes you smarter football fans. That's the best compliment I can give anything and have some fun along the way. It's definitely worth checking out. You can get it on YouTube, anywhere you can find podcasts. Uh, they, they get hits all over the place. So you probably know about it already, but if you don't, check it out immediately. EJ, Brett, thanks so much for coming on. How are you guys doing? We're great. Thanks yeah. so much for having us. It's doing awesome. Great. All right, well, let's not start with the Bears here because I think the top national story coming out of this draft is probably putting a lot of smiles on Bears fans' faces, and that is the Green Bay Packers and exactly what in the world they are doing right now getting Jordan Love and pissing off the franchise quarterback. So, Brett, since you've not been on the podcast before, let's give you the floor first. What was your reaction when the Packers trade up and the name Jordan Love is announced by Roger Goodell? It was, uh, I guess you could say simultaneously surprised and not surprised. Uh, EJ and I were streaming during the draft and like, like an hour before the Packers pick, I was like, what if they take Jordan Love? Like I would, I would die. And next thing you know, they trade up and take Jordan Love. And like, I get it. I get why they did it. But at the same time, we knew immediately like, oh, that's going to piss off Aaron. Uh, maybe not the best idea to piss off your franchise quarterback. But at the same time, I understand why they did it. You know, he's 35. He's had some injury issues. Um, they want a young guy, a cheap young guy that they can control for six years contractually. By that time, I think Aaron would be, what, 41, 42. From a team and, and roster management standpoint, uh, I get it. But there was no way they were going to make that move without really angering their quarterback. EJ, your, your reaction when you heard it? I was surprised that they moved up to do it. I was surprised that they put the draft capital into it. Um, I'm not surprised from a sort of nouveau Packers perspective, different coach, different approach to free agency. Um, we found that out last year when they suddenly discovered that free agency was a thing and, and grabbed an entire defense out of free agency. So things are going different in, in title town these days. And I can see where it's going. Um, looking at the rest of the draft and we'll talk about that in a minute, I get their plan. I can't say I necessarily agree with it, but make no mistake, if Jordan Love becomes the third straight awesome Packers quarterback and takes them on to basically at this point three straight decades of very solid quarterbacking, look, as a Bears fan, I'll hate that. As a draft analyst, I hope Jordan Love succeeds, and I get it. Um, but the bottom line is this draft hinges on Jordan Love. If Jordan Love's great, it's a great draft. If Jordan Love's terrible, it's a terrible draft, period. That's it. That's what you do when you move up for quarterback in the first round. Jordan Love aside, Brett, the, the next move, adding another running back and, and basically a fullback there in the in the third round, and and the Packers front office and, and LaFleur, everyone saying ground and pound is the way to go. And maybe it almost sounded like Dave Gettleman was there for a minute. What was what was your thought beyond the Packers' draft past love? That uh, it it really spoke to them building to be the team that that beat them, 
you know, you go back to the NFC Championship game, and really the, the two times last season that they got beat the worst was against the Niners, where it's we're running the ball, we're gassing out your defense by, you know, 30, 40 carries. Um, we're, we're not going to let your offense have the ball. We're going to keep you off the field. And then when you are on the field, you know, we're going to rush the passer and make your life miserable because we know you're going to have to pass to catch up. And so I think, you know, they spent a lot of, they spent a lot of capital on the offense. And I think they were really trying to build the offense to be more like San Francisco. Um, and obviously with LaFleur having a background under Shanahan, that kind of makes sense. Um, A.J. Dillon, they want that to be their Derrick Henry, who LaFleur worked with in Tennessee, just absolutely pounding defenses, wearing them out. So by the time the fourth quarter comes, they could just run the ball every single play and get yards. Um, and then you, you, the, the, the Josiah DeGuara pick in the third, who we thought might go around later, but specifically for the Packers, I think made sense because they lost Vitaly to New England, and a fullback is a huge part of that offense. Again, like with the Niners when they had Juszczyk. And I think you could ask a lot of Niners fans, if you could draft a young Kyle Juszczyk with a third-round pick, would it be worth it? And every single one of them would say yes, because he's such a huge part of that offense, both in the run and the pass game. So to me, those those kind of early picks pass love. Uh, and I'll throw in Hanson from Oregon, who they got, I think, in the sixth round. is like a pure zone center as well. All of that screamed, we are trying to be San Francisco because San Francisco's formula works. And they came one really good throw away from beating the Chiefs in the Super Bowl last year. So they want to run the ball. They want to have a versatile uh, fullback who can also make an impact in the pass game. They want a quarterback that's young and cheap to be developing behind Aaron because they don't think he's going to be there much longer, or whether that's Aaron's choice or not. I, I, don't, I don't think he's going to be there much longer at this point. Um, and, and they... They want to be the Niners, and whether that's going to work for them, I don't know, but the Niners came really close to winning the Super Bowl without having a good receiving core last year, other than, like, I don't know, I guess Debo Samuel and Emmanuel Sanders, but, like, they didn't have a Devontae Adams. So I think LaFleur is thinking, like, we don't need a lot of receivers. We need to be able to run the ball and and, and use our tight ends and fullbacks. So that, to me, was was what they are going for. All right, EJ, before we move off the Packers, uh, you know, Brett Favre spoke the other day and, you know, said he spoke with Aaron Rodgers and basically said Aaron Rodgers wasn't happy and basically predicted that Aaron Rodgers was going to be leaving and playing on another team at some point. I know Michael Wilbon said it's going to be the Bears. Who, you know, I don't know what's going on. But, you know, that, that aside, are, is, is Rodgers now the jilted lover? Will he 100% ask out as soon as it's feasibly possible to get out of Green Bay? Well, I think it depends. It's a little early to raise that flag. Um, we're talking about, you know, several days after the draft finishes. I, of course he's not happy. I don't think any professional athlete at the peak of his game is really happy when their team says, we're going to pick another asset at your position and spend a lot to do it. There's a fifth-round quarterback, Jordan Rogers, or sorry, Aaron Rodgers isn't going to worry about it, but they spend a first-rounder on Jordan Love and move up to do it, it's, you know, that's a signal that, hey, you know, we're not terribly sure that you're going to hold this spot down for a long time. And Rodgers famously has been either absolutely loved or not so loved. There's not a lot of middle ground with Rodgers um, in the Packers locker room, depending on who you're, who you're talking to. And if he... You know, again, winning cures all ills. If they come out and rip off six or seven straight wins with this new philosophy and ground and pound is working for them 
and the offensive lineman that they're drafting later are contributing to his protection and his jersey staying clean, I think he'll be fine. If there's a little discord, if there's a little rift, or if there's a little, eh, we'd like you to do this because if you don't, we're going to move towards Jordan Love, any of that at all, perceived or real, I think the sort of smoke and fire about Rodgers moving on is just going to continue. It's going to be the story for a while, and they can either tamp it down or sort of, you know, flame it up, and we'll see which one happens. All right, well, let's move on with with and get to some of the stuff that the Bears are doing right now. And Brett, let's start with you because – you tweeted, I believe it was right after the Cole Komet pick. I don't think it was after Jalen Johnson, but it was something to the effect of Ryan Pace. Why are you the way you are? So what <laughs> uh, yeah, Ryan Pace. Where do I begin with Ryan Pace? Um, you know what? There, there's a, there's a long list of players that were on the board when Cole Komet was picked. And keep in mind, this has nothing to do with my evaluation of Cole Komet. I think he's a good tight end. For the Bears specifically, knowing their needs, knowing how many tight ends they already had, knowing their depth deficiencies at other parts of the roster, would you rather have Cole Komet or would you rather have Antoine Winfield or Denzel Mims or Lloyd Cushenberry, uh, Neville Gallimore, Christian Fulton, the list goes on and on. Even the guy they ended up taking anyway, Jalen Johnson. Like, there there were so many other players at bigger positions of need that, honestly, I had higher grades on to begin with. And this has nothing to do with if I think Cole Komet's bad. I think Cole Komet's good. But there was an incredible amount of really, really amazing talent on the board. And you take Cole Komet? Like, why, why is he the way that he is. I, I don't understand it. All right. Well, EJ, uh, Cole Komet, I mean, what, what was your reaction to the pick? Uh, my sentiments on it, I basically agree with everything Brett said there. I thought there was a lot of more value on the board. I, I don't think he probably would have gotten a 50. I don't know if it was the Steelers, but regardless, I would have been happier with the team going, you know, like an Antoine Winfield. I think I brought up uh, Del Pitt to you before, and you were the biggest mm-hmm. Del Pitt. But 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 a safe, one one of those type of positions, even Jalen Johnson, seeing what was left at fifty, wide receiver, a speedster like Hamler, there was there was a lot of options that were on the board there. So what was your reaction to the pick, and what's your reaction to where you think Komet is as as a player and where he can get to? Yeah, I'm glad you separate the two because uh, you know just like Brett, Cole Komet is a very solid tight end. I think he will contribute for the Bears. This isn't a Cole Komet is bad or. Cole Komet is a bad fit for the offense or anything about Cole Komet. This isn't about Cole Komet. This is about you're sitting at 43 in the draft. The board falls exceptionally well based on your team needs. That always doesn't happen. You a lot of times don't have what you need or don't have options available where you need them. And for the Bears, the board almost couldn't have fallen better. Sitting at 43, and they choose Komet. It's not a it's not a knock against Komet. It's Antoine Winfield Jr. was my choice there, and looks like a very very talented safety. I would say Pro Bowl fairly quickly, possible All Pro, just very active in both phases, run and pass, super skilled, super physical. And if they'd done that and come away with Jalen Johnson at fifty, 
man, Winfield and Johnson out of the first round at 43 and 50, if you're going to stay there, and a lot of people have said, oh, you should trade down. Well, I don't think trade down was probably an option because there was so much talent available in the second round that general managers knew that they could sit and get what they wanted. There was no reason to give up an extra pick. I don't think that trade market was particularly hot or really even viable. So if you have to stay at 43, it's not that Komet is a bad pick. It's the opportunity of what picking Komet keeps you from getting. And if that's an Antoine Winfield or a Denzel Mims or Cushenberry was mentioned, there's lots of other players. Josh Uche, uh, Josh Uche was there. He went to the Patriots. I think he could have been a lot of gas off the outside as a sort of situational third edge rusher. Now you can argue about the value of that, but I really think it's not about Komet. It's what you left on the board. So I was a little bit disappointed that they had their most valuable pick and didn't use it kind of to its fullest. Now the second part of the question Where's Cole Komet going to fit in the Bears' offense? He's probably automatically almost the starting tight end. I think he'll sort of back up Graham, but Graham plays more of the move tight end. Komet's going to be more of that Y inline tight end. He's got some work there to do blocking-wise. He's pretty good on routes. People keep comparing him to Travis Kelsey, who works very well in this system, uh, and other tight ends that, that work in this system. And he's not as as athletic as them folks say oh well he's the first tight end on the board and if you didn't pick him at 43 you were going to miss him and to that i say yeah that's okay there's players later in the draft who you could have got you know close or equal value to and you still would have picked up an antoine winfield so i think Komet will be a fine productive player for the bears but as a wide tight end the rookie return on wide tight ends historically in the last five to eight years is not great they average at most maybe Mid to high 300 yards, five, six touchdowns is about the max as a wide tight end. That's not a lot of impact to the offense. So down the road, I think he could be a good long-term player for the Bears. Overall, did they get everything out of 43 that they could have? I really don't think they did. And, and, and I completely agree with that because, and, and I'll, I'll talk to you guys about some of the veteran signings they've had, but I think the number now is 10 players that they have signed or re-signed who are 30 we're going to be 30 this year or older. So while they have a, you know, some long-term pieces, they, they're kind of all in on 2020. And wh- wh- whether you think that's a good move or not, that's the move they're making. And, and like you said, tight ends just don't traditionally, you know, they take a couple, three years. I mean, look at Gusecki in the, in, in Miami. He, he finally looks like he's coming to the player, but he did nothing as a rookie. There's plenty of tight ends like that. So, yeah, questionable to say the least, but what I did not think was questionable, Brett, was 50 with Jalen Johnson, who EJ and I spoke with before the draft, and both of us kind of had him circled as, wow, if somehow the Bears could get him thinking about the scheme fit with Pagano. I mean, he's a really smart player. Uh, you know, he's really impressive if you get a chance to speak with him. I love the fit there. I love what they got 50. I think he was a top 20 player if he didn't have injury concerns. What were your thoughts on Jalen Johnson? Uh, you know, it's another one of those things where I, I separate out the player and the, like, Jalen Johnson is worth that pick. Personally, and this is something where EJ and I disagreed on, I would have gone with Christian Fulton at that pick. Uh, I'm really high on Christian Fulton. I had him as my third rated corner. He ended up slipping later. Uh, I can't remember where he went, but I know he went after, after Jalen Johnson. So if it was me, I would have gone with Fulton. I felt like he was a, a damn near perfect fit to, to replace Prince on the outside. But that being said, I still think Jalen's going to be a really good corner for this defense as well. 
he might be a little bit more versatile uh, than Fulton. I think he's got better feet when he's playing off. I think they're both tough. I think they both play the run. Uh, Jalen might be a little bit more fluid, uh, probably about the same top end speed. Um, and overall, I, I think Jalen, if you want to be a little bit more scheme diverse and not just play press on the outside, if you want to play a little bit off, if you want uh, him maybe to play a little bit more zone, I, I think that makes sense. I'm not 100% sure how Pagano is going to use him. Um, but I, I think overall the value for the player was dead on. I just happen to be a massive, massive fan of Christian Fulton. So I wouldn't hold that against Jalen Johnson. Uh, but I, I would have done a different pick if I was paced. Gotcha. Now, e- EJ, I, I know you're a fan of Johnson. Do you think, look, the second tight, the second tight end, the second cornerback on the roster isn't exactly strong. It's definitely there for the taking. Do you think he can be a week one starter as a rookie? Uh, because of the lack of off-season program, I very much doubt he'll be a week one starter. Uh, it's always a jump going from college to the pros. Doesn't matter what program you were in. Um, it's easier out of some systems, harder out of another. I would say Utah is somewhere in the middle, if not towards the top end. It's a fairly pro-ready program. They've produced a lot of good draft picks, but it's going to take some adjustment time. And and corner is. I don't want to say it's notoriously hard. I think nickel corner is no, notoriously hard for rookies. Boundary corner a little bit easy, a little bit easier because you can use that boundary to keep folks uh, in check. And Johnson knows how to do that. If he's just locking up one guy, his responsibilities are pretty limited, and he's very good at that. So it's possible, but I would imagine a guy like Kevin Tolliver gets the start week one. If Johnson's not on the field preeminently as a starter by midseason – uh, assuming the season is somewhat regular in <laughs> its period and volume, uh, I'd be surprised. I think he's a more talented player than Tolliver, and I I think he's a great just sort of lockstep fit for Pagano and what he needs out of his defensive backs. And I really think he can even ascend farther. Everybody's saying a Prince replacement. I actually think he can be a Kyle Fuller replacement when that time comes. I think he has sort of alpha corner mentality and ability. Um Man, I just think it's a great pick at 50. All right, guys. Well, let's jump ahead to the fifth round because the Bears were active there. Uh, ended up with three picks after uh, moving up from the sixth and trading a future fourth. And Gibson, Vildor, and Mooney. I'm not going to pretend to be a Vildor expert. I, I, I didn't even know the name, to be, to be frank, when, when it was called. But uh, I did like both other picks. Uh, Mooney definitely gave them a speed aspect they needed. They needed a rotational edge. Uh, hopefully I'm, I'm always concerned with day three edges cause they, they rarely develop, but I do like what I see from Gibson. He was probably my favorite day three type edge target. If he was going to be there for the bears, I didn't think he would be, but uh, Brett, let's start with you out of those three fifth round picks and EJ, you'll have the same question next. What was your favorite out of those three uh, for the bears? I think in terms of addressing need, um, I, I think the most prudent pick was probably Gibson just because behind their starting edges, it's basically just Barkevius Mingo, and that's it. And I think after so many years, we kind of know what Barkevius Mingo is. Like, he's been on five or six teams for a reason. So I think Gibson, and EJ and I had an interesting discussion about this, we're not 100% sure which way he's going to go in terms of position because he's kind of got interesting tweener size. You can add on 10 to 15 pounds and maybe play him at like a big five or kick him inside and be a nickel rusher inside. Or you can maybe slim him down five pounds or so, put him at 255 and have him just rocket off the edge. 
I would probably lean more towards him being pure edge, slim him down, take take advantage of that explosiveness, and see what he can get you from that uh, from that standpoint. Um, but you can kind of go either way. Um, so he was probably the pick that I was most excited about in terms of addressing need. The other, like obviously they need Mooney for speed. The Vilder pick, just because they have so many nickels already. Like I like him as a player, but I was wondering if he was ever even going to get on the field just because they have so many inside corners at this point on the roster. Uh, EJ, what's uh, what, what were your thoughts on the fifth rounders? Um, first, I was surprised uh, that Pace traded up. <laughs> then I was really surprised that he didn't mortgage a lot of assets to do it, so that was a kind of happy surprise. First thing I asked on the live stream, People people started coming in and chat. Bears traded up. Bears traded up. I was like, no, nah, you're just trying to bait me. What happened? They traded up. Okay, it's real. They traded up. What did he give up was my first question. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised that he didn't mortgage next year's top-end picks to do that. Moving up for Gibson, I think, is a, is a fine move. I watched two guys, rewatched two guys before day two of the draft. It was Gibson and Huff. Um, Bryce Huff out of Memphis because I just wanted to do a little bit more due diligence. They were still on the board. I knew the Bears needed some pass rush. And Gibson is an athletic guy right now that needs to figure out some things. But we get we got to see him at the Senior Bowl. I think he can develop. I think he can be a good player. There's not a lot of players in front of him on the roster keeping him off the path to the field. Vilder's a little bit different. He's got a couple of solid players in front of him, and he's really going to have to kind of start on special teams. We, again, got to see him at the Senior Bowl as well, and very physical player. I would say almost maxed out physically, very developed, a little bit shorter, super aggressive, um, very, very physical. So he's going to make a living on special teams early, but it was a little bit more confusing. The one that really turned my crank was Mooney. Um, the Bears needed top-end speed in the wide receiver category. They thought they were going to get it from Dur- from Turbo. It didn't happen for whatever reason. They still need that element. Nagy's been looking for it since he arrived in Chicago. They tried to bring on Albert Wilson. Um, famously, they've been looking for speed at that third wide receiver spot to really take the top off the defense and open up the underneath routes at the same time. And Mooney has that in spades. I called him KJ Hamler light because he's – Actually, a few pounds lighter than K.J. Hamler, who's light already. But his speed is every bit the same. He can absolutely crack open a defense, and that's what he's good at. He also had some limited hands issues, which is the same as Hamler. So they're very, very similar players. But value-wise, to get that in the fifth instead of the third, it's a really good pick for the Bears. And I'm excited to see what he can do. All right, well, let's uh, let's jump ahead to the seventh, uh, get, get some quick thoughts on Arlington, Hambright, and Lachavius Simmons. Who are going to win the all, you know, be part of the all name rookie team. And <laughs> the idea of having two guys named Hambone and Pig on the offensive line sounds like a great idea for any NFL team. But Brad, which, which one of those guys do you know much about them? Do you think has ch- a chance to develop into uh, having some long term NFL success? Uh, not going to lie, I had not watched either one of them prior to the Bears picking them. Uh, I still have to get around to watching them. But I will say, I hope Lachavius Simmons makes the roster just for the name, because that is all pro <laughs> name right there. So I, I don't know anything about him as players, um, but at least we know, hey, the Bears are pretty thin on the interior offensive line. So if there was any year for two seventh-round offensive linemen to make the Bears roster, eh, it's probably the year to do it. EJ, any any thoughts on those two? 
not right off. We were doing a live podcast for the sixth and seventh round for Bears Over Beers, which we did last year with great success because actually both of the Bears seventh rounders um, I had talked about before and said that I would love to have on the Bears. So that was a great success. This year, two guys that I had never even heard of. Um, <laughs> since then, Arlington Hambright has the sort of more major college pedigree, ended up at Colorado, um, started out in another major college program. Uh, Lachavia Simmons, uh, Tennessee State, a little bit smaller school, but no, haven't, haven't gotten around a film on either one of them. Um, Bears have a need, certainly at guard. They got Effetti, who I think is probably going to solidify the right guard spot, despite what fans think of him, having been in the Pacific Northwest and watched him with the Hawks. He is not as bad as people say. He's better than what the Bears had there last year, that's for sure, especially later in the year. So these guys are going to get a chance to develop. They may end up on the practice squad. We'll see what they have. Um, the Bears also brought in some UDFA interior offensive linemen who look pretty darn stout. Um, so it'll be an interesting battle to see how it shakes out. But, no, I don't have any thoughts on Hambright or Simmons because getting down to seventh-round guards would mean I watched probably 500 or 550 players, and I don't. I don't watch that many. I watch probably half that many, and it's okay if I don't know somebody's name in the seventh round from Tennessee State. But it'll be interesting to see what they have. All right. Don't want to spend too much time on UDFAs. Um, but well, why Brad, not, Bill? Why not? <laughs> let me just ask you uh, one in particular, and EJ, I'll ask you one in particular. Ladarius Mack, is this anything other than a nepotism pick to make Khalil happy? I'd say no. Uh, I mean, he does have some ability. Uh, was he worth a draft pick? He was not. Um, is it worth him to bring him into camp? He looks explosive on tape. Is he consistent? Not terribly. I saw somebody say the other day on Twitter that he's a bad tackler. I don't think he is. Uh, he might be inconsistent, but he's not terrible. And he definitely shows some pop. Now, that's highlights, right? Tape is a different story. You need to see consistency. You need to be able to see things like setting the edge, stack and shed. But when he gets loose, he's got some juice. And that's what you're looking for in UDFAs is high weight and speed. Um, does it help that his brother's on the bear? Sure. Is he going to get a decent shot to prove that maybe he deserves a practice squad spot? Maybe, but I'm actually more interested in the other one you listed. I'll, I'll take Brett's thoughts on Ladarius, but I want to talk about Trevin. All right, Brett, Brett, your thoughts on, uh, Mac nepotism or, or real chance to develop? Uh, it's, I would, I would probably lean a bit towards nepotism, but at the same time, I'm kind of okay with gambling on the bloodline. You know, <laughs> from that standpoint, uh, I, I think I think there's nothing really wrong with with keeping with keeping your star defensive player who you kind of leveraged what two or three straight drafts on happy. Uh, but I I personally don't think he's going to make the roster. I do think that the other one they picked though, McSwain, I think he is going to make it. Yeah, so 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 let's bring him up because I'm not going to pretend that I watched a lot of Duke tape, but he did jump off the uh, pay, the the tape at me a little bit when I watched him play against Alabama. You know, to me, you know, he get down and dirty. He's got some quick feet. Uh, EJ, your thoughts on Trayvon McSwain, who's one of the UDFA's the Bears are bringing in? Yeah, I like him. Um, again, tape I've seen since he was signed as a UDFA. Didn't see him during the process, or he didn't stick out. If I did, um, good height. Big, tall guy, uses that leverage and power, um, can get people off his frame on the inside, blow up an interior run, uh, create some interior pressure. That's enough for a UDFA. Again, height, weight, speed, and a little bit of ability to wreck it on the inside. 
Um, there's a little bit of Bilal Nichols there. Um, you know, is he going to turn out to be the same player Nichols was? No, not very many people had Nichols tabbed as a good player, and he developed uh, very rapidly after he made the Bears roster. He was a draft pick, but I think McSwain has a little bit of that swagger on the interior. Big, tough guy. They're going to shove him at five, say, use your hands, stand people up, continue to use that leverage, you know, toss people aside occasionally and grab the running back. That's enough to certainly make the practice squad. Is he going to make the 53? I think that's a much tougher call. The Bears are a pretty talented defense right now. But uh, McSwain looks like a guy, to me, that's got the potential to develop, and that's what you want to grab in UDFA. So I'd say good move by the Bears. All right, Brett, well, you said you were interested in McSwain, so give me your thoughts. Yeah, uh, BJ nailed it in terms of he got a little bit of a lot Nichols to him, you know, just – undersized but still has a little bit of quick and quickness and violence to him. I think he's going to make the roster because he's the exact kind of height, weight, speed prospect because he's only what 285. So he's not that he's not that I mean he's tall, but he's not big if that makes sense. Um but he's the exact kind of athletic guy that you want to learn under Akeem. Akeem, to me, is basically an assistant defensive line coach that also happens to be an all-pro talent on the field. And Akeem's presence, to me, is a big reason why guys like Bilal Nichols have developed, Roy Robertson-Harris, um, really any interior Bears defensive lineman has been better when Akeem is in that building because he's, he's one of those veterans that's that really wants to give his knowledge to other young players and kind of carry his legacy forward. So I think McSwain, considering all of the ta- the natural talent he does have, if he can learn under Akeem and kind of weaponize his frame and his quickness, he can be another one of these guys where nobody really expects anything out of them coming into the league, but because of where they went and who they learned from, they end up being much better players than they would have otherwise. All right, well, let's wrap up with this. Let's let's jump off the draft for a little bit because the Bears have been pretty active in the uh, free agent market here uh, post-draft here the last couple of days. Signed John Jenkins, uh, you know, pretty good chance to, to make the roster. He, was, he played a lot last year. It's the only going to be the real true nose besides Eddie Goldman when, whenever they do go base. And, uh, Gibson and, uh, and Ginn, you know, from, uh, safety and wide receiver. Hey, EJ, let's start with you. Um, did you like the Gibson signing to pair with Eddie Jackson? I, I was holding out for Tony Jefferson. I know that knee's not ready yet. Once Gibson dropped, I said, oh, that's, that's definitely a name they should look at. And, uh, do you think Ted Ginn has anything left in the tank? We'll start, start there with you. It's interesting. Um, Gibson came down today. I think it's a solid signing. Other than that, they were going to be going with Deion Bush, and I'm not a huge Deion Bush supporter. He's put together two really solid preseasons and then not done much in the following seasons, which has been a bummer because I was not a fan of the draft pick at the time. He's found a way to stick on the roster, which is good. He has a ton of athletic talent. Last two preseasons, he's lit it up and looked really good and looked like a potential option there. And then you get to when the lights are on, and he just really doesn't do anything. So I think, again, he's at this point kind of a known quality. Gibson's performed at a higher level in terms of certainly of number of starts and, and production. So it's a good, solid match. Um, Jefferson was a lot of people's target, but without the ability for medical rechecks right now and visits, um, I just don't think Ryan Pace has the tolerance for that risk. So he went with the safer option. I'm fine with it. Ted Ginn was a little bit of a surprise to me. I was almost a little bit bummed. Ginn's a guy that's developed as a player throughout his pro career. 
had real trouble with hands and routes when when he was younger. He's gotten better at both of those things, still has the speed, can make the big play for you, but isn't terribly versatile. And if you bring on a guy like Mooney as a draft pick, clear the way for him. Let him see if he can, you know, let him see what he can do. I know rookie receivers take a little bit to develop. And, you know, Ginn brings you speed in that nine-go route. That's what he's going to bring you. He can break some off short. Um, he's not going to catch them all. Does he have anything left in the tank? I don't know. I think he has probably about the same amount he had left in the tank. Uh, he's never a really complete receiver, but he can be a value. If Foles throws a pretty decent deep ball, he'll connect with Ginn on a few. And Jenkins is probably the best signing of the three, even though he's the least um, bright lights in terms of big names. But the Bears need another nose, and he does that job. He does it willingly. He does it pretty well. And he does it for cheap. And that's something you need on the roster because if anything happens to Eddie Goldman, the middle of that defense, again, they don't play that much base, but the middle of that defense looks very different without a guy like Jenkins able to come in. And again, hold the double team, hold his ground, make sure that the run right through the middle doesn't happen, and let those linebackers go run and hit. All right, Brett, last one for you here. Um, if you want to jump in on any of those three guys, feel free. But I wanted to ask you, because I remember we went back and forth a year ago about David Montgomery and, and, and the trade-up for him. And So I know it's kind of tough to assess him based on what kind of a mess the Bears run scheme and some of the offensive line and, and, and all the woes they had last year. But what are you, you – you have hope for the Bears run game with David Montgomery and being – I don't think they have a viable RB2 on the on the roster right now. I don't count Tariq Cohen. He's, he's too different of a player. Is there an available running back right now that you think might be a good addition while Pace tweaks the roster here with one-year vet, vet ads? Oh, you know what? That's that's a good question. Do you know of any, EJ? That are... Yeah, I know of two. Carlos Hyde's one. That's right. Nobody Jonathan, signed him. And Jonathan Williams. Out of the two, I'd probably say Carlos Hyde. Yeah, I like uh, Williams more, but that doesn't surprise me. I was a big fan of his coming out of Arkansas, and what he did in Buffalo was pretty good, and he had some, you know, he was productive with Indianapolis last year. He wasn't flashy, but in terms of a guy that can come in and grind it out um, to really truly back up Montgomery, because I agree with you, Bill, that RB2 is basically an open spot on the depth chart right now. He's going to come super cheap. Through, uh, I'm going through a, a list of uh, free agent running backs right now, and Devontae Freeman is available. Oh. Just saying. Oh. EJ's shaking his head in, in a look no. of disgust. Freeman was injured last year, and he didn't finish the year before. Uh, he's 28. He's got a bunch of mileage on him. He ran really hard in Atlanta. Uh, was a big fan of his coming out. Was really happy he succeeded. Probably not the best fit for you know a guy who's he's not going to have a ton of carries, but he's going to take a pounding. And uh, I'd almost rather have Isaiah Crowell. Right, Isaiah Crowell's out there. He's going to come, again, incredibly cheap. He's got a little bit of burst, maybe even a little bit more than Montgomery. Who knows? And he's got to run super hard, uh, and he's not going to cost any money. So a guy like him or Jonathan Williams is plug him into RB2, use him for a year, maybe two, um, have him sort of solidify that spot. And, um, yeah, free agency is pretty picked over right now. And uh was just looking at it today, and there's there's only about four or five guys that I'd even gamble on. Um total in all the positions. So um, there's a couple of running backs out there. There, there may be, but the Bears could use one, that's for sure. Yeah, I think I think the Bears definitely need to bring in a running back. They need another inside backer, too. Uh, we, don't, we don't need to get into backup inside linebackers, but I, I would expect those two little veterans. I know they're at the 90 now, but Adam Shaheen has no business being on the roster anymore. I'm sure they can find some room. So 
Uh, let, let's wrap it up. There they are. EJ Snyder, Brett Coleman. Uh, check out their fantastic podcast, the Bootleg Football Podcast. It's on YouTube. Uh, you can check it out anywhere you can find, find podcasts. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a worthwhile and it'll, like I said, it'll educate you. So EJ, Brett, thanks so much for jumping on. Thanks for so much time and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for having us. It's been great, Bill. All right, there they are, Brett Coleman and E.J. Snyder. E.J., I know you guys all know well. Brett, uh, at Brett Coleman on Twitter, he's a great follow, especially if you are a draft addict like I know a lot of you are. So so make sure you follow them. E.J., of course, at the Draftsman FB. They do a great job. They do a great podcast together, so make sure you check that out. So that's going to do it for Bears Banter. Hope you guys enjoyed this look back at the Chicago Bears NFL draft and, you know, some of those moves they've made here the last few days. Should be interesting to see how this roster now comes together throughout the summer before we head into the 2020 season. We will talk to you again soon. Bear down, everybody. Adios. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.